Welcome to the Uncommon CEO Podcast, where we unpack the mindset, skills, and wisdom it takes to become an uncommon leader in a common world with your host, the Uncommon CEO himself, Andrew Smart. So, Andrew, here for an episode of the Uncommon CEO Podcast after one of my favorite days of the year, Super Bowl Sunday. Did you watch the big game yesterday? I sure did, and I'm, I know you did. Yeah, so what was your takeaway? First, it was a great game. Mm-hmm. Entertaining all the way through. Um, you know, Super Bowls can can often be one-sided. Mm-hmm. This game was, I mean, it was a slugfest all the way through. I mean, it did. You know, that Philadelphia, you know, was had the majority of the possession time. Mm-hmm. But both teams were evenly matched. You know, truly both teams were, were meant to be there. So it was a great game to watch. And, you know, there were some there were some good commercials because you know, sometimes mm-hmm. you, just, you don't know how the commercials are gonna be. There's yeah. some, there were some good memorable commercials. The I think that the biggest one was the J Lo Ben Affleck commercial. Oh yeah, where he's at the drive-through. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that was pretty funny. Uh, give me a glazed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it uh, that was that was a funny commercial, and then the the Rihanna halftime show. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I always enjoy it because it's an opportunity to get together with some friends, and it's become an annual tradition to have people over at my house. Any particular food that you had? Always do wings. Always got to get some wings, pizza, and of course. Dips by Taste of the South. So Taste of the South. Definitely there you go. Was there, was, there, was there any favorites? Uh, you know, we got to have some people try the new fried chicken dip we've been working on. Uh, people are in love with the brisket dip we've been making. So those ones were high up there. Caramelized onion and bacon was a hit with the crowd. So What was the review on the chicken dip? Uh, everybody liked it. I think uh, some people would have liked to see it a little bit spicy. But outside of that, the general flavor and, you know, texture of it people were pretty keen on it i think it'll be a hit but um it's not without a little more tweaking there's always little adjustments well i know you like spice is that because your group kind of likes the spicy kick uh most of them do i mean we we get hot wings every time we get together so it probably would say i'm probably got a spicier than average crowd i hang out with okay well but it was a great it was a great game Mm -hmm. um you know coming down to last place Mm -hmm. uh, i know the Philadelphia Eagles fans kind of felt like maybe there might have been a little controversy. Yeah. I mean, when your team loses, there's always a call that you're not they happy do. with. They so do. there's always. always one. But yeah, it was they let them they let them play until the end. And then, you know, it, one flag can change a game. So. Absolutely. It usually comes down to I remember, you know, Dabo Swinney saying many times that evenly matched teams, you know, games like that come down to when you go back and review film always comes back to about five plays. Mm-hmm. When you go back and watch the film, there's five plays to decide the game. And so I'm sure when they go back and review film, you know, of the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. that they'll look back at these five plays, decided the game. Yep, <clears throat> absolutely. But it, it's good to see young guys like Jalen Hurts just giving it their all. And, you know, he's only a few seasons in, already on the cusp of a Super Bowl. That was exciting. It's always fun to see Mahomes play. Two amazing quarterbacks, uh, great stories from both quarterbacks, uh, both high character, you know, players and leaders of their team. Mm-hmm. Uh, t- different stories. Uh, it was it was funny last night. I, I was I was sharing my son. I said that you look at both of these players, uh, um, the leaders of their team. I said, mm-hmm. let's talk about their contracts. 
And I was sharing yeah. I was sharing the contracts. Uh, Mahone actually had just renegotiated his contract prior to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, he got quite a nice contract. Yeah, uh, he makes a few bucks. Yeah, 10 years, $400 million, I'd mm. say it's a pretty good contract. And Jalen um, makes, I think it's about 1.6 a year, and he's coming up on uh, his contract year. So I think he has a good shot of having a pretty good contract renewal. What do you think? I sure think so. They'd be silly to not extend him out and try to keep him around. He's a he's a franchise leader at this point. And I think they've de- identified, you know, you're not going to get any else better in the draft at this point where they're going to draft at, et cetera. So. Yeah, and he's shown that. He, he You know, he was a second-round pick, okay? Mm-hmm. When you're a second-round pick in the NFL, uh, your, your contract is – I mean, you, you're basically uh, – you know, we were – we're kind of like, you know, we're going to roll the dice on you. We might keep mm-hmm. you. We might trade you. You know, it's it's kind of like, I don't know. You might yeah. be good. You might not be good. I mean, um, they'll, they'll put a little more risk on you, but they're not going to put a high risk on you. And he was a second-round pick. His his tenure with Philly was, you know, out the gate. I mean, he wasn't a starter. No, he had to come in because of injury to even get to start playing, and then it always felt like ah he's he's good but he's not polished enough and yeah he he had a jump this year he did like nothing else it's the same thing that i always talk about in leadership and life um the circumstances of life in the situations of life are what you know really create the opportunities for leadership okay you you take away you know those circumstances you really you don't have leaders i mean it's it you know, leaders come when those opportunities come about. Mm-hmm. So you take this Jalen Hurts situation. I mean, he he came through an opportunity that they didn't quite possibly Philadelphia. I mean, might not have had. I mean, you. Mm-hmm. And so he he rose to the occasion, is what I'm trying to say. And in the rising mm-hmm. to the occasion, he found the opportunity. And and so he went through many obstacles to get there. His college career. I mean, he was a highly recruited, you know, I mean, oh, player yeah. coming out of high school. I mean, he went to Alabama, highly recruited. National championship games. Right National championship mm-hmm. game. I candidly, as a Clemson guy, I mean, we played against him. Yeah. And won against him mm-hmm. for the national championship. Um, but a truly highly recruited player had to overcome a lot of adversity, but never stopped. Mm-hmm. And then you see him playing in the Super Bowl. He will get his payday. And I think that's a, a good lead into today's topic of negotiations because Jalen Hurts has some negotiations right now. He, he does. He does. And negotiations. And you're right. He is about to walk into you know his negotiating year. And negotiations. That's what I want to talk about today. Negotiating. Because, Matt, the truth is, in life, in all aspects, we... We operate in negotiations. We're, we're constantly negotiating. I mean, ironically, I mean, we kind of come out in life and we don't know that we we kind of, from the onset, have this mentality of negotiating. Think about it. You're a father. Have you ever found yourself in a negotiating spot with your children? Yeah, every day. This morning I was trading cookies for getting kids dressed. So yeah, I'm with you. All the time. <laughs> it's 
have you ever found your spot? It found yourself in a spot where you walked away thinking, I lost that negotiation. Pretty much every time with the children. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, but your children don't realize they're negotiating with dad. Mm -mm. I mean, they, they didn't wake up thinking, man, I just need to get dad cornered up, plan my strategy, orchestrate my maneuvers, and start my attack. Mm -hmm. That's not how they, you know, they, they didn't set that out that way. So they kind of just kind of instinctively knew what they wanted. Mm -hmm. And, and they went about, they went about it instinctively to get the result that they wanted. And whether it's a cookie or whether it's going to a friend's house or watching a show that they want to watch or staying up later. Mm -hmm. That's what we instinctively want to do. So we're kind of born into this mindset of negotiation. And, and so, so we don't have to be, we don't have to be really taught this beginning stage of negotiation mm -hmm. because we are born into it. What we have to think about with negotiation is if we're born into a basic mindset of negotiation, is there a process of honing negotiation? Because if we're humans and we naturally negotiate because we're born into it, is there a process of honing negotiation? Yeah, because the kids don't know they're negotiating when they're negotiating. Yeah. And so, yeah, you, it, it's in a process you can work on and improve. Well. You have to. All right, let's, 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 let's stay on the path of, of kids. And as kids get older, as you become a teenager, you're wanting to negotiate a little different than you were as, as, as a younger child, right? Mm -hmm. Because the what you're negotiating for is is different and sometimes a little bigger and you know I mean you're so your skills have to advance a little more, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're starting to talk about things like cars and money as opposed to cookies and coloring books. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Cars, money, uh girlfriends. You know, girl, girlfriends, yeah. if you're guys, you know, if 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 you're like me as a daughter, um and 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 no, you can't go out with him. Yeah, you know, that, that that type of yeah, right. I mean, so you're constantly, you know, evolving this negotiating, you know, mindset, mm -hmm. and it just kind of continues into into life. I mean, we do it in in our when we go to school, and obviously we do this when we go into the business life. Mm -hmm. We negotiate, you know, when we want to take a job, right? What are we negotiating there? I mean, you're negotiating pay, leave, benefits, um, pretty much what your role is, when, how you can serve the organization you're joining. I mean, uh, you're negotiating your a third of your life if you think about it. So absolutely, yeah. I mean, you're 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 always negotiating when you're when you're getting into a relationship. Whether you want to admit it or not, you're you're negotiating. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, I mean, and you're going to find out she might be a better negotiator than you. That's been the case so far. <laughs> right, <Yeah>. right. <laughs> constantly out negotiating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so you're you're always negotiating, um, and and we 
talk about this being a CEO podcast, a, a, a leadership mindset podcast. And as leaders, leaders are negotiating. Mm-hmm. And negotiation, how you do it, you know, is critical. So I was I was recently reading a book, um, a, gr- a book by Chris Voss called Never Split the Difference. Mm-hmm. And it was a fascinating book. Fascinating. And I've read lots of books on negotiating. I've read just like lots of books on leadership. This book uh, has been written a, a few years ago, um, but this book just kind of opened up my eyes and, and kind of brought a twist on some I, some ideas that I have heard, but some new ideas. Mm-hmm. Because this guy wasn't a business guy. This guy uh, had a whole different path of negotiation. This guy negotiated with guys like criminals and terrorists. Uh, different. That's a, sure. that's a that's a different uh, group of negoti- negotiation with. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when when you're negotiating with a guy who's uh, got a group of people held hostage at a bank, you're kind of negotiating a little different deal there, right? Yeah, getaway helicopters don't come up often in my negotiation with the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And when you're negotiating in this world that we operate ever since 9-11, this massive terrorist world, that's kind of a different mm-hmm. thing, too. Absolutely. Yeah. The funny thing that I learned in reading this book was that the mentality of negotiation really is the same as if you're negotiating with your son or daughter. Hmm. Tell me more. Because really... If we're negotiating with a terrorist or we're negotiating with our children, they're still human, right? Mm-hmm. Occasionally they're animals, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I mean, you and I can look at a terrorist and mm-hmm. we can we can automatically in, in our mind think that, okay, these are savages. Yeah. But I they're mean, still more like, my kids are animals, but yeah. yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they can pile on you like animals, right? <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. But at the at, but at, but the, the basic core function, they're still the human mind there yeah and so if you look at it from the human perspective whether you're a terrorist or whether you're a child or whether you're someone who's holding up a bank there's some basic human components needs wants all these things compiled there Mm -hmm. there's some desires that are all kind of interlinked in there it's driving every bit of it chris voss kind of brings this to the table and and kind of a little background on him he He's a he's a FBI negotiator. He was actually the lead FBI negotiator um, that would that would be the lead FBI negotiator when you know after nine eleven all the terrorist attacks. He had been in the FBI doing a lot of the bank uh, uh, hostage negotiation type of stuff. He mm-hmm. um, and and he took all this experience and would 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 once he left the FBI and kind of created his private company which I'll get into the name of his private company because it kind of leads into one of his key elements of negotiation uh, and, and, and start applying it to the business world, how mm-hmm. we negotiate as humans. And so, so yeah, I was just, I was just fascinated by negotiation because every day in leadership, I'm working with people uh, every day and in, in just my everyday life, I'm dealing with people mm-hmm. and dealing with people. Uh, it's it's an interesting world, often a messy world. Yeah, no doubt. And so how can you connect and better, you know, do it better? And so want to talk a little bit about that. Sure. 
Great. So you ready to go? Ready to go. Well, I I, I made some notes here. Um, I wanted to print them out, but we had a little technical issue here um, with our printing Indeed, system. Indeed, yes. Uh, the word on the street is we're going to get that fixed. Mm-hmm. And we're getting close. Um, you know. Well, you saved a tree in the meantime. Yeah, my, my assistant way. Ashley mm-hmm. told me we're getting real close there. Mm-hmm. You know, coming into here, she's a reliable source. Yeah, so yeah. that's so mm-hmm. I, that's that's what I heard. Um, but but I I I I'm putting the notes on on my iPhone here. So so one of the first takeaways in in the book it talked about whenever you're dealing with an individual, you want to you want to be a mirror. Now, yeah. when we break down being a mirror, what is the basic principle of a mirror? Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna see a reflection of yourself in it, or whatever the mirror is reflecting. So a representation of what you would see from somebody else's eyes. Yeah, and we we've we've used the mirror reference in a bunch of our topics. I mean, we've we've talked about the mirror and winning with people that mm-hmm. that that you use the mirror to kind of evaluate yourself. Yeah, you know, before to, you go pointing fingers, you got to point the finger right back at yourself first. Right. So you you kind of do the evaluate mm-hmm. yourself, but here. The mirror principle is is in negotiation. You want to mirror your counterpart. Mm-hmm. You want your language and kind of your body language to help mirror this person to kind of keep both of you on track. You don't want to do things that are kind of going to set that person off mm-hmm. because body language matters, right? Oh, absolutely. You know when you when you walk into negotiations and your person set across from you. If their body language is way off from yours, how that's, how's that going to affect you? Well, neither of you are going to be in sync the whole negotiation. You're going to be, you know, potentially defensive. And whenever you're defensive, you're not really engaged to the level that you're going to have effective negotiations. Of course. I mean, yeah. if you if you if you if you're not properly mirroring this person, and you know, like if if you're not mirroring me, and all of a sudden I feel get the sense that you're not caring about what I care and you're you're not paying attention and you're not mm-hmm. then this negotiation is starting off bad and I don't feel like you care and you're not connected to me or mm-hmm. we're, we're we're in a bad state right out the gate. Yeah, pretty much every movie I've ever seen has some negotiation breakdown early on and a lot of it's just because of the d- demeanor of the participants. Yes, and that's mm-hmm. the whole point of we saying you've got to mirror. If you're the negotiator, if I'm if I'm here, you know, negotiating with you, I need to make sure that I'm paying attention to you, mm-hmm. that I'm mirroring who you are, and I'm watching how that I'm paying attention to that, that I'm not being naive to your body, your who you are mm-hmm. right here, that I'm mirroring that. Sure. And I'm aware of that because if I'm not, this thing could go south real fast by not doing that. So that I'm mirroring, mm-hmm. and I'm. And the mirror deal that that I'm following your lead. So as you go, I'm mirroring every step of that. The way that I'm, you know, as the mirror, I'm responding to you in that process. So that's a first piece of mm-hmm. mirroring who I'm negotiating with. You know, you know, and 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 in that process of mirroring, the mirror, so I'm the mirror. So you're so I'm I'm reflecting you. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're saying a lot. Okay. So if you're saying a lot, what am I doing? Hopefully listening. Of course. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm doing a great job of listening. One of the hard parts of people in negotiating. Now, think about this. So when we're in relationships and we're, 
you know, having moments of that negotiating point, it's, it's, you know, we, we struggle sometimes to stay into that mirror role because we quickly want to move into what? I don't know. Well, we often want to talk, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. I've always, I think one of, I don't know if it's a quote or just advice that I heard that always resonated with me that, you know, so many people that spend more time trying to think about what they're going to say next, as opposed to actually listening and taking in what's being said to them. And you can, you can see it in people's eyes when they're doing it, where they're, they're not truly engaging in the listening part. They're just formulating their response the whole time. So have, have you, have you ever been in a situation where you're just sitting there watching someone and you know, they just can't stand it. They, they want to say something. So yeah, it's like, they're like fighting so hard. Mm-hmm. Oh, all the time. I'm, I fall victim to that myself sometimes. So. Yeah, I mean, but but the truth is, you know, when you can see that, they're not mirroring very well because you know that they are like, it's like killing them not to say something. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what, you know, our ability to mirror and our ability to control that side, because what, it's not just really that mirror, it's not just about controlling we know that that timing of what they say. They mm-hmm. have to control how they say it. Oh yeah, you know this because like it goes back to negotiating at all, all points. When you say it, how you say it. Yeah, inflection in your voice is everything in how things are perceived. Like that's that's, that's the key I think, term inflection. Yeah, people, the way people read into a text message in this modern age tells you everything you need to know about that is. You, you when you have to introduce your own inflection is when the message goes awry. Yeah, I mean, and and that 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 point of inflection, how you say it, you know, you know when you when you come across, and then all of a sudden, you know, in that particular point, if somebody says, "Well, what do you mean by that?" Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, you know, and so then you have to dive deeper in that. So and so how you say it, so that that inflection. That inflection statement is basically saying tone is everything, right? Yeah. Yeah, tone. And so so think about this in, in, in tone. From a leadership standpoint, and, and I think about this from my position, whenever I'm leading or, or, or having a team discussion, um, how important is my tone? Oh, I mean, it dictates how everybody receives the message. If, if the tone is angry i mean they're looking you could be saying i'm ordering pizza for everybody in the room but if you said it mean you know everybody's like oh i see you're ordering pizza this is terrifying so i think the inflection is as important as the message a lot of times it is it is i mean and it's the same way in negotiation um and and walking through that negotiation so that what chris vall said now there's there's different tones but he often said in a in a true negotiation, if you're a true negotiator, one of the major tones that you want to have, and I thought this was kind of interesting of what he said, in a negotiation business or whether you're dealing with any of those other criminal terrorists, he said, you almost want to have like a late night DJ voice. Mm-hmm. The quiet that storm. quiet storm. Mm-hmm. You know, that late night DJ voice that, you know... Matt, we're gonna play your easy listening, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, yeah, <laughs> so. something with a little uh, Yanni kicking in. So. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. They said yeah. that that just that slower, calmer, strong, but just 
consistent, slower, calm, strong, and, and just the psychology of what that voice does to the mind. Mm-hmm. It helps calm down the other party. Yeah, which said, I think is you're calming down the party, you're calming down the body. I mean, that's what, I mean, just think about it. I mean, yeah, and when you see somebody that goes back to mirroring right there, if you see somebody that's calm, you can relax a little bit too and be yeah. a little calmer yourself. Absolutely. So those that was kind of like the beginning of the book, and the book then moved into an area that, that actually I were going to study a lot was more of some of the deeper psychological work that that I think about when leading people because you don't lead everyone the same is that that you move into what is more of kind of the what I would put in the therapeutic side and what I, what I mean by that is that you want to feel that person mm-hmm. okay? Okay, and what feeling in leadership is, is to be an effective leader, you have to have one key element to be an effective leader. You have to understand empathy. Yeah, I agree with that. And and the truth is, too many leaders don't understand empathy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I've talked about this before. Now, there's a balance to empathy, okay? There is a balance. You know, you can't you can't you can't just totally lead with all empathy. You have to have balance with empathy because I mean, if you if everything is all empathetic, what's going to happen? Yeah, everyone walked all over you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. You can't have all of that. But if you don't have any empathy, what happens? Well, you, you're a leader people won't follow. You can't relate to those that you're leading and Put yourself in their shoes to be able to both grow through it. You know, I'll put it away that John Maxwell said one time. He said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's where, you know, empathy comes into play. That, you know, that when people truly understand, wait a minute, you know, this person does care. Now, you know, this person does have expectations. This person does, you know, require results. But I understand this person does truly care. Mm-hmm. And and I, I grow in my trust for that person because I understand the level of care. So it's kind of going into negotiation. You know, when someone understands or feels that you care, you raise the bar of negotiation, don't you? Mm-hmm. Because if the person on the other side doesn't feel like you care, where does it leave you? They won't trust any of your intentions if there's not some level of empathy and care involved in the talk and negotiation and the way you treat the person. Chris Voss uses a term um, that the leaders should apply called tactical empathy mm-hmm. that we should look for ways to do that and so so that was just kind of a phrase that he would use say tactically use empathy mm-hmm. so i kind of like that i kind of wrote that down. yeah tactical empathy. as a strategy yeah it's a strategy yeah. use empathy as a strategy mm-hmm. you're dealing with people going forward in the book you know often in negotiation you know we're we're kind of conditioned to want to 
always reach that yes mark, right? Mm-hmm. That we always kind of think as humans, we like the word yes. We do. Yes, I, I do. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that word. He actually goes opposite. He, 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 he points out that no always alters the conversation. So he's kind of like really, you really kind of want to get to that, you know, the, that no point. He said it's not, it's not ultimately, you know, the yes might be the finalization, but in negotiation, no is, is really that point of altering the conversation. Mm-hmm. And he has these points. He says, when you, when, when no is altering the conversation, he has seven points. He says, at first, he says no means that I'm not ready to agree. Okay, so we kind of understand, okay, he says no, I'm not ready to agree. Two, he says, you know, no means you're uh, you're making me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if someone says no, you're making me uncomfortable. Third, he says, if someone says no, it says it means I don't understand. And so it's kind of understanding, you know, that maybe no means just I don't understand. Fourth, he says, in a business negotiation or some type of, you know, transactional deal, no could be like, hey, no. It means I just can't afford it. Mm-hmm. So you got to read it like, man, I just can't afford it. Um, fifth, he says, when someone says no, it might just mean, hey, I want something else. And being able to read it that way. Six, it might mean, hey, I need more information. So sometimes when someone says no, they might let me say no, they just need more information. And seven, he says, I want to talk this through with someone else. Hmm. Yeah. And the point I bring up this no is the no doesn't necessarily mean no. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's kind of going to. He said the no is these points that can ultimately lead to yes. I mean, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, hey. You get to that seven. If someone says, I want to talk this through with someone else, what are they saying? Yeah, they just need an outside opinion or they want uh, a confidant that can help them make the decision. They, they're they at least saying, well, this is reasonable, but I need an outsider to help me um, put it in position. I guess. Well, think about this. How many times have we been in a situation where, whether it's a restaurant, some store, you name it, that we've gone to and we've gotten a no and we said, hey, can we talk to a manager? Mm-hmm. I think every time I've called about my cable bill, it essentially goes that way. So. <laughs> right. Um, so we're working through a no to find someone who can give us a what? A yes, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so we're working through that process. And so and so he he, he makes this point. I really like this one. And I've actually, I've heard this before. He talks about human behaviors driven by two needs. Do you know those two needs? Oh, gosh. Um, human behavior is driven by two needs. I'm going to go with empathy again. And um, love. Well, those sound pretty good. Yeah. But they're not it. Ah. I've known these from other work I've done. But uh, so human behavior is driven by security being one. Mm-hmm. So we're driven. The things that we do in life are the things that we seek or want are driven by a nature of security, and the other is control. Hmm. Okay. So we're driven by security and control. So we want we want to feel security. So our so many of our decisions are about security. Mm-hmm. Think about it. Think about think about decisions that you have made. I mean, they're about 
you know, they're, they're about security. Yeah, absolutely. And I think those two concepts are definitely linked together because control, it, it gives you comfort the same way security gives you comfort. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I think about that. I, um, <laughs> I laugh about the, you know, the, the, not the last time I went to our plant up in Monroe, North Carolina, but, um, the time previous, uh, I flew up, um, to the, to the plant, uh, with Marty mm-hmm. and, and we had a little turbulence cause when you, when you fly up, you know, where we were going, um, the, the Charlotte doesn't allow you to get to a certain level. I think I thought yeah. they made us stay at like 5,000. Well, you're staying at 5,000. You're going to get a little turbulence. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching Marty in the plane is getting a turbulence and he's getting a little nervous and I've flown so much that. Yeah, I doesn't bother me one bit, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting here watching him grab the the arm, you know, the chair, and <laughs> yeah. he's just and I'm like, Marty, it's fine. It's like bumpy road, man. It doesn't bother, but he just, I mean, it, you just see it just bothered the hell out of him, mm-hmm. and and so he had to go with me on the next trip, and and he was just like, we're not flying. I'm like, no, nah, we'll drive. It's fine, and mm-hmm. and and here's the interesting part about this, and here's you can have all the data, and here's a data guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, Marty's a data guy. Oh yeah. And and when you look at the security, you know, safety, mm-hmm. us flying was way more secure and safe than us going up 85. Oh gosh. Course, I made yeah. I made him drive. Mm-hmm. You know, he drove actually in my car, but I made him drive. And that 85 to that plant. Oh, I mean, there's construction everywhere. Crazy. Lanes are shifting. There's poles in the middle of the I road mean, all of a sudden. The chances yeah. of us something happening on 85 versus mm-hmm. us flying. But what was it? I mean, it was control and security. It fed his need for control. Mm -hmm. And it gave him a false sense of security. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so the the, the dynamics of our mind. See, this is the funny part. He needed both. But one was going to counteract the other. So, Mm -hmm. So if he could get the control... The security was going to be taken care of. Yeah. So I mean that that's that's, I mean, they, so you can throw out different situations. You can throw a security situation. I mean, it's like it's like if I was walking down the street with an armed bodyguard, thinking that's going to make me secure. Well, I mean, it doesn't necessarily make you secure. I mean, it's just it's it gives you a false sense. Just you can just throw different scenarios in there. Mm-hmm. So, so that was uh, the two words there. Um, in negotiation. Now, this is a kind of a common one that we all hear, but we we talk about it in negotiation. It's like anytime we make offers, um, you know, when when you when you go out and negotiate for a car. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you've done that in a while. It's one that I hate. You know, I, I love actually doing negotiations. One of the things I really hate is going to cars. Oh, I do too. I actually got my truck during COVID where I literally just picked up the phone and they traded my truck sight unseen plus cash for the one. It was the easiest negotiation ever. It's my favorite. Funny you say that. Um, that was the last time I bought one too. And uh, remember my previous sister, Emma there? Mm-hmm. I put her on that task and said, here's your assignment. Mm-hmm. You're going to go um, negotiate, negotiate this card, by the way. And... Uh, if you come back uh, with a bad deal, well, I've enjoyed having you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, uh, but I just, 
you think about it. When you go to a car negotiation, you're like stuck there for hours. Oh, yeah. And there's always like, it's like going to a timeshare where there's some closer that comes in at the end. Or it's all this terrible. Like, oh, I have to. Because you know this. the guy you're talking with can't really do the deal. Yeah. I mean, you're sitting there negotiating with him, and then all of a sudden he disappears some back room. Mm-hmm. And he's coming back and it's fourth. And it's just, it's exhausting. Yeah. But, but the point of negotiating, um, you don't want to be the person who makes the first offer most of the time. Mm-hmm. Now, why do we say that most of the time? I mean, there's probably a few scenarios where beating them to the punch is advantageous. Um, like it probably in salary negotiations, it it may be better to come in with a number that you lob out there. Uh, but sometimes it's just a, a wait and hear what they have in mind. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. most of the time you don't, you want to be working against their number. Yeah. Most of the time. Okay. What's a scenario where you'd want it different? Where, where, you know, where's that, those, those times where you would want to put a number up? Oh, I mean, I was thinking the salary negotiation, traditionally, that's worked out better for me, where if I came in with a number, I've already set an expectation. They're probably not going to go up from that number. They'll only try to go down or agree to what you have in mind. So it's, I think it's a coin flip, really. But traditionally, I've come in with the number in mind. I think, I too often think in salary negotiations, you don't want to be that person. I think when you know, take like a like a housing deal, mm-hmm. and you know you got a competitive environment. Oh yeah, I've had to do that where I offered over because we knew. We wanted yeah, because you know that yeah. you got a competitive environment, mm-hmm. and you you know this is something you want to have, mm-hmm. and you know, but you don't want to get into a heavy bidding war, so you want to psychologically just nail them. I did this on a house one time. Mm-hmm. I was like, I knew that I was going, and I said, I want to hit them right out the gate, nail them down. And not have to kind of, and so if you just hit them with a number, it keeps them from, so I think Mm -hmm. sometimes those are kind of more of where you want to. Yeah, you don't go in and offer more for a car, but yeah, a house, you know that it's up there for anybody to grab down. And uh, if you can, if it will help somebody else make a quicker decision, there's value to that. Absolutely, absolutely. So he also talked about, you know, in the numbers game, he said, use odd numbers. Hmm. Yeah, so too often, I, I think I've used this in my past, but I've, I've learned this process over time. Use odd numbers. Too often we're in negotiation, we'll come in with even numbers. You know, hey, we want to buy a car. Well, I'll give you a 32000 Mm-hmm. You know, so we'll, we'll come in with just a an, an even number kind of set, you know, rather than going, hey, I'll give you, 33 or, or 31,375 or something, just some odd number that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, that that just kind of, he said, odd numbers have a psychological effect on people. Hmm. And what it ultimately makes people think is that you thought through the process. Yeah. Yeah. You came prepared with even if you a had thoughtful. <laughs> yeah. And so I believe it. Yeah, and so that's what it really makes them think. Another really interesting point that he made was called the 738-55% rule. I'm not sure I'm get this guy's name right, but I'm going to Albert uh, Mahibran, a psychology professor at UCLA, discovered that only 7% of messages is conveyed from words used. 
while 38% mm-hmm. come from tone of voice and 55% from body language. Hmm. So it goes back to the mirror principle. 55% is here. I mean, this is where the mirror principle, and then the tone. So we know tone and body are critical. Mm-hmm. To kind of wrap up this book and kind of bring it home, uh, this is uh, Chris Voss, uh coin, or he, he, he named his company after this last point. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, really interesting. And he, he said, find the black swan. And his company is called the Black Swan Group. Mm-hmm. He said, find the Black Swan. And so I got to tell you what the Black Swan is. He said, according to Voss, the Black Swan is the hidden, unexpected piece of information that can completely upend the negotiation dynamic. Mm-hmm. And there's really three points to that. The first point of that is positive leverage. You know, what does that mean? Simply put, this means... You know, withholding the things that your opponent wants by delaying making an offer, you hold on to the leverage for longer. So it'd be basically just holding back information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we've all done that at times. You know, just hold sure. back a little information. You know, then he said negative leverage. This requires subtly, you know, treating your counterpart. For example, if they don't provide X, then you don't provide X. To find the black swan, that can be used as negative leverage. Identify what is important to your opponent, what worries them, and then use it against them. Hmm. Yeah. So it's basically a scare tactic. Sure. You know, and I mean, that's a great negotiating tool because, you know, by by doing that, you kind of like, man, they, they might get a little scared that you'll walk away or you might go. I mean, just kind of. I looked up the property records on this house and X, Y, Z, you know, yeah. that suddenly can flip the conversation on its head. Right. Mm -hmm. And then finally, normative leverage. This entails using your opponent's morals and norms to your advantage. If you can point out discrepancies between their beliefs and their actions, you'll gain the upper hand. You kind of hit on where it hurts. Yeah. Little moral there. So, I mean, very fascinating book. Uh, You know, loved learning about them. Uh, Like I said, I've I've learned a lot of these negotiating texts, but he kind of brought... Um, some really unique points um, from his experience. Um, and it was a, you know, like I said, I love to learn. Mm-hmm. love to learn how to get better and, you know, how you can relate to people, how we can, you know, as as business people, as, as relationships. I mean, how we can work better together because we're always negotiating. We're always, you know, looking at how we as individuals and as teams you know, and as people can work better. Yeah. Negotiation every day happens. It's one of the hardest things in life because I found one thing. People are not predictable. But if you go in there with the right mindset, you can hopefully guide to a mutual beneficial conclusion. The right mindset, you know, first starts with the ability to understand these things. Mm -hmm. And so... And I think as, you know, this podcast that that hones in on being uncommon, uncommon people want to do it better. Mm -hmm. And to do it better, you got to work to do it better. And and to understand, you know, who you are, but more importantly, who you're working with. 
Thanks for joining us today on the Uncommon CEO Podcast. Subscribe to our show wherever you get podcasts. We have video episodes on our YouTube channel and more Uncommon Wisdom on our social media. Find all our links and resources at UncommonCEOPodcast.com. For Andrew Smart and all of us here at the Uncommon CEO, stay uncommon.